Well, welcome. Thank you all again for joining us this morning. Before we hop into the message, we're going to open with something a little different today. There is an app called Whisper, and it lets people post things anonymously. We have found some statements on this app um, that have to do with people's thoughts on Jesus, the church, and Christianity. And so this morning, we've decided that we are going to read some of those out loud. You can follow along on the screen as we read these. And, but remember, these are real people in our world today, and they're real thoughts. I love it when people judge me. I'm like, nice to meet you, Jesus. You don't have to believe every word of the Bible is true in order to be a Christian. You just have to believe in Christ. I gave up on religion because it stopped me from being the real me. I am a Christian, but the world would be better without it because humans have destroyed what religion was meant for. It is now an excuse to hurt people. I hate that I have so many racist, self-absorbed, judgmental Christians in my family. They affirm why I gave up religion. I don't want to call myself a Christian because I honestly don't believe there is a God. But I got saved about seven years ago because I felt pressure to do it. So because of that, I am a Christian. I wish y'all were this excited for Jesus as you are for Beyonce's new album. I gave up on religion because I didn't like how it marginalized so many different types of people. I still believe in God. Sometimes the nicest people you meet are covered in tattoos, and sometimes the most judgmental people you meet go to church on Sunday. I want to know more about Christianity. Since I am Hindu, I don't know much. Will someone help? A lot of the time, Jesus is the only person I can share my feelings with without being judged. I gave up on religion when a little boy in my Sunday school class asked, why do people believe in God? And our teacher slapped him as hard as she could. I wanted so badly to believe in Christ. It's heartbreaking to realize that church isn't my path. Starting a series this morning that revolves around the question that these posts on Whisper have raised. And the question is this, why people in our culture seem to like Jesus an awful lot, but dislike the church an awful lot, maybe sometimes even hate the church? This question was also raised by the cover, the front cover of Newsweek magazine, and this was about four years ago in its April 2nd issue, which shows that our culture is giving Jesus good grades but his church, his people, getting a pretty bad grade at the same time. So the question we want to ask this morning is, what's going on here? Well, let's begin. How do people see Jesus today? Well, Jesus is viewed in our culture as a person of great love, respect. He received people no matter who they were, what their past was. Jesus was all about justice for people. He was a caring listener He never turned anybody away. He tore down walls of prejudice. He tore down walls of racism. He elevated women to a shock, in a a shocking kind of way, for the society and time in which he lived. He planted the seeds that would eventually undo uh, slavery. He moved among the poor. He mingled with the average, the ordinary. Even the religious leaders of his time said, Why do you hang out? with the sinners. Contrast that with how people see the church today, how people see Christians. 
Here's the list. And at the top of it is judgmental. That's the number one thing in polls, people's attitudes about Christianity. Judgmental. Irrelevant, extreme, unscientific, segregated, all about rules, intolerant, down on women, down on gays, down on transgender people, preaching a health-wealth gospel. If you just believe in God, you'll be healthy and wealthy. Abuse of authority. Money-hungry. All the church wants is your money. Corrupt, abusive, and then at the end of the list, crazy. (laughs) Looney tunes sometimes is the view of people, of a good many people in our culture, about the church. So are you depressed yet? (laughs) Okay, all right. Uh, Well, I'm a pastor, and I've been a pastor of churches for many, many years, and so I think we have to take these things seriously. Now, I would say this, that I know an awful lot of Christians. In fact, I think most Christians I know are not like this list. That is the perception of so many people in our culture. And I think sometimes in a media-saturated culture like ours, those Christians and those churches that are like this list, and there are some, for sure. Westboro Baptist Church. You've heard of that church, right? Have you heard of the Westboro Baptist Church? Most of you probably have. They've gotten the coverage. They're a small church of maybe 30 people in some remote village somewhere that have captured the headlines. And so you take churches like that, and pretty, pretty soon the whole church in, in the culture is colored and sort of misconstrued uh, by just a handful of people that are abusive to their faith and abusive to Christianity. But at the same time, I think this list, and because this is the perception of our culture, I think this is a time for all of us who are Christians to stop and take a look, take a good, hard, deep look at ourselves, take a look at our hearts, take a look at ourselves as a church. Because perception is reality to the people that hold the perception, right? That is their reality. That's how they see it. And so we have to all be concerned if this is the culture that we live in and how they see us. You know, there used to be two main groups in the United States. Uh, The people that attend church, and that was the largest group, and we can call those the comes. They're coming to church. And then there were the nuns. (laughs) They're the people that just don't go to church. And that used to be a small group. That group is, is growing in this country. But you know what? There's a third group that is growing the fastest of all these, uh, uh, faster than the other two. And that is what are called the duns. Uh, These are people that are done with church. They used to be part of the church, but they've dropped out. They've they've walked away. They've left it. Um, So we need to take a look at ourselves just because of what's, what's going on in our culture. Now, here's a funny thing. There is, there is no more, history has had no more vocal, outspoken critic of religion than Jesus himself. In fact, and that's funny because he was a religious figure himself, and yet he was the most outspoken critic of religion, especially fake religion. Uh, listen to what he says to the religious leaders of his own day. 
Jesus did not mince words. He said it like it was. Listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 23. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees? Now the Pharisees were the, they were the preachers of the day. They were the religious leaders of the day. And so he says, hypocrites, fakes, frauds. You are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will become clean too. And that wasn't all that he said. He goes on and says this, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you are like whitewashed tombs, Beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, you can read all of chapter 23. Jesus, an entire long chapter, Jesus is scathing in his rebuke of the religious leaders of his day. Now, as Christians, we would step back from that passage and, and say, well, those were the Pharisees. So that was the decadent Judaism of Jesus' day. That's not us. Well, when we read the New Testament, we also find that Jesus was also the church's greatest critic. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus speaks to the seven churches of Asia, Uh, These churches had been in existence for about four decades. They were about 40 years into their church experience. Um, And Jesus has this thing to say. He says it to the most influential of all those churches, the church in Ephesus. This is what he says to them in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. He says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. So the love that used to fire, the love that used to define who you were, that love is dissipated, he says. And, and, so he, and then he goes on to say, if you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Your light will go out if your first love diminishes, is what Jesus was saying. Uh, so what we see here is that We as as church, as the church, as Christians, we have to humbly look at ourselves, look at our hearts. And if there's anything on that list that I read a few moments ago, or even any trace of those things on that list that are part of who we are, that would be in our hearts, we need need to come before the Lord and, and say, Lord, cleanse us and restore us and bring us back to the first love. Bring us back to that fire. How many of you remember after you first came to know Christ and the the passion you had for Christ and the passion you had to share Christ with other people, that fire that was inside when you first came to know him? Well, what the Lord is saying here is in these seven churches, that fire had started to go out. And and so that's what we need to look. We need to take a look at, at the fire in our hearts. I need to look at my heart. and You need to look at your heart this morning to see where we stand before the Lord. And really, it's living with a repentant spirit every single day. You know, you plant a garden, 
which I suppose a lot of you are doing right now if you haven't done it or will be doing it. But uh, my dad used to plant a huge garden and he'd send the three of us, myself and two brothers, out into that garden. And our job was to to check the weeds and pull the weeds out when they were coming. And we thought those rows were so long we were never going to get through that garden. Uh, But it's the same way in a Christian life. The weeds are going to keep growing in our lives because we all still have a nature, that, a fallen nature, and there's weeds in there, and they're going to pop up. So we have to be constantly vigilant every single day of our Christian life to check for the weeds so that we can ask God to, to pull those things out by the roots, keep us growing, keep us strong, keep us, keep us sharp and pure in our faith. And I think that's what the Lord was calling this church to. Uh, you know, there are, um, well, let's put it this way. Uh, the Apostle Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. He said, for the time has come for judgment. And he didn't say judgment of the culture. He didn't say judgment of the society. He said, time has come for judgment, and it begins with the household of God. It begins in the church. That's where God moves and his holy fire purges and purifies our hearts. Sometimes, I think people outside the church have a better view, have a good view of analysis of the church. We have to be careful of that because they can be off too, like I said a moment ago. But some, I, I, an example of that would be, uh, I had someone in the church uh, here about two months ago come to me and say that, you know, the uh, entranceway, it's starting to crumble out there. And... It uh, started to crumble away. And, you know, I walk into this church several times every week. I walk th- through that entrance. And I've done it hundreds of times. But you know what? I did not, I never noticed that. I never saw that it was starting to crumble away, the, the exterior of our, our building out there, until this person pointed it out. And you know what? Uh, I'll bet most of you, maybe didn't notice it either, unless you were a first-time guest. Who would notice those kinds of things? A person who's checking out the church for the first time, they're going to see something like that. And I think it's the same way with, in, in a spiritual connotation, is that sometimes the world can see, out, they can see things that we may have become blind to because of our familiarity, and we move in these Christian things all the time. We can lose sight of some of the, of some of the things that the culture is able to see. So we have to have the humility to let people that don't know Jesus point things out to us who do know him that, you know what, they may have a legitimate point now and then. And that's humility. But it's, what's gonna, it's part of what's going to keep us revived again. We sang, revive us again, fill each heart with thy love. Rekindle our hearts. I think that's part of what God, how God does that. Now, There's something else that we need to be aware of, though, about this popularity of Jesus in our culture right now. Because the same thing happened in the first century. It happened two times. Uh, First, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he began to ride this swelling wave of popularity that lasted all the way up to the day when he fed the 5,000. Actually, it was more like ten or 15,000 when you count all the, the wives and the children that were there that day. And you know the story in John chapter 6. 
Jesus had been teaching them. The day was getting late. The disciples said, hey, they're hungry. We need to go get some food. Well, they didn't have time, so they found this boy that had a sack lunch with him of fish, two fish, five loaves of bread. So Jesus fed out of that everybody a fish and chips, Long John Silver's type meal that day, all right? Uh, And he fed them all, and there was food left over. And great as that day was, and certainly his popularity was never greater, but something really strange happened that day, or the day after, I should say. The people misread Jesus. They were misinterpreting him. Because the day after he fed the 5,000, he talked to that same crowd, and he said, he began to talk to them that he wasn't a political leader. He wasn't a political savior. They thought that he was. They thought he was going to conquer Rome, and he was going to change the economy, and he was going to deal with the poverty of the situation. He was going to change the government, all that stuff. But then Jesus started talking about, no, I've come to bring a spiritual kingdom that's going to rule and reign in your hearts. And guess what? His popularity plummeted in the polls, not just overnight, (laughs) in one hour. John chapter 6, verse 60 says that the crowd deserted him. The crowd walked away. And he even turned to his 12 disciples and said, are you guys going to leave me too? And they said, no, Lord, we're here. We're with you because you have the words of life. They were starting to get it. They were starting to understand what Jesus was talking about, what his mission was. Uh, So they they had misread Jesus. Now, okay, so the crowds go away for a while. But then over time, as Jesus continued teaching and works of love and healing and miracles, he began to climb in the poles again. Crowds began to come back. And until the most climactic day of all, and that was the, on the Sunday, his last Sunday on earth, the Sunday before Easter. We call it Palm Sunday. Jesus came into Jerusalem presenting himself as the, as the Messiah, the King, the Savior. And the people were cheering him as never before. His poll numbers were shooting through the roof. I mean, like probably 95%. The only people that were against him was that religious establishment. But then, but then four days later, that same crowd, incited by the religious establishment, they were calling for Jesus' crucifixion. They were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Why is that? What happened? Well, again, the culture in that first century, they, they misread Jesus. But when they started to really listen more closely to what he was teaching, they found that they, some, many of them found we can't go along with this. We don't like this. And so there was a lot of hostility that began to come. What is it that Jesus was teaching that so upset everybody? Well, he was teaching this, and no matter whether you are a religious person or an irreligious person or a formerly religious person, no matter what camp you might happen to be in or what camp they were in, 
Jesus was teaching them that he had come to deal with the root problem behind all, that all humanity deals with. And what is the root problem that we all have? Here it is. We have removed God from being the, the spiritual, cultural center of human life. And we've put ourselves at the center. And this makes us all spiritually and culturally dysfunctional. Whether we are religious, irreligious, partly religious, whatever, whatever we are. It's put us all out of sync with the boundaries and the definitions for healthy human life that God has given. And Jesus was saying that he, he was coming into the world to fix that problem. And he went to the cross bearing that sin of, of self-centeredness. He went to the cross taking yours and mine, the root of all of our sin. He went to the cross dying for that so that there would be a way we could be forgiven and then come back into a relationship with God. Put God back at the center of our lives, spiritually, culturally, emotionally, psychologically, and physically, and every other way. God was always meant to be at the center of life. But we displaced him, and we took over, putting ourselves there. Jesus said, I've come to bring a spiritual kingdom that can redeem and salvage and bring people back to living a life that's in sync and lined up with the one who knows best how our lives are to be lived and how our lives are to be defined and our relationships are to be lived. And, that's, and Jesus said, that happens to be me. So, just as people in Jesus' day of that first century culture, just as many of them misread him, he was popular a couple times, but then when they listened to him closely, they found that he wasn't quite so popular. And uh, he was calling them away from that self-directed living to surrender their lives to God. So what happened? Well, the same people that thought he was so popular decided finally, you know what? In other words, hostility. Hostility came into the picture. And they said, we need, we're going to put this guy to death. Now, I believe that we're facing the same kind of thing as a church in, in our culture right now. Jesus is very, very popular. But I think as many people in our culture really begin to listen to what Jesus teaches. And that's our job as a church, uh, to share, to stand up and share what Jesus Christ does teach. He may not be so popular with a lot of people, but on the other hand, there will be a lot of people just like in the first century who did receive the message and were born again and came into that spiritual kingdom that Jesus came to bring. But here's the challenge for you and I as Christians and the challenge for us as the church. We need to be sure that any criticism from our culture is not coming our way because we are misrepresenting Jesus by having some of the attitudes that we went, read the list of a few moments ago. We have to be so careful as a church that we are not misrepresenting him and drawing criticism because of that. But on the other side, realize that even when we accurately present Jesus Christ to the culture, 
there's still going to be some hostility encountered. But then, that, but then the hostility is, is really, then we're standing in line with Christ. And, and that's part of the suffering that Christ has called the church to bear in the world. So this is where the rub comes between the church and the culture. We want to define our lives, our core values, our culture. We want, to de- we want to create all those definitions ourselves and build our own culture around our definitions. Jesus came to the first culture and he's here in the 21st culture. 21st culture. Uh, calling us to yield to God's will. Yield to God's to the culture of God's kingdom and God's definitions of right and wrong, of what's healthy and what's unhealthy, and what is good and what is best and what's going to cause human beings to flourish. So there is always going to be a clash of cultures even when the church is representing Jesus well. So over the next Sundays in the month of May, we're going to take a close look at what Jesus taught about the culture of his kingdom on several of the issues that we are facing as a culture right now, next week. We'll take a look at what Jesus had to say about the role and the rights of women in society, their dignity and, and the, the view that Jesus has of women. That just happens to be Mother's Day next week. I think it's an appropriate day to take a look at that. On the 15th, we're going to see what Jesus has to say about racism and prejudice. On the 22nd, what did Jesus teach about sexual identity, about gender identity? That's a huge question. That's probably the biggest question in our culture right now. As you can, if you're on Facebook, every other post, <laughs> every, every third post is about this issue of gender identity. What does Jesus have to say about that? Some people think he didn't say anything about it. Jesus said an awful lot about that. And we're going to take a look at it in a couple weeks. And then, May 29th, the church and politics. Okay, isn't this the craziest presidential primary? (laughs) Have you ever seen anything like this? I haven't. This is crazy. Uh, But so what, what does Jesus Christ have to say? about the church, about Christians, about politics? How do we put those things all together? Well, I think thinking through these things, having a biblical handle on these things, is very, very important for Christians if we're going to be salt and light in our culture, if we're going to speak to our culture with love and grace without compromising God's word and God's truth. It's really important that we have a grip on these things. And I want, to, I want to encourage you to invite friends to come, uh, people that are unchurched, people that maybe used to come to church, but maybe for whatever reason got disillusioned with it and sort of dropped out. Uh, invite them to come with you over these next few weeks as we talk about things, because I want to promise you that every one of these topics that we're going to be addressing, we will be addressing those with the greatest of love, and the greatest respect for, for every person that's in this room. Even people that may come who haven't been thinking that way or may be in disagreement with some of these things. We're going to talk with grace and love, but we have a responsibility as a church to, to take a look at what Jesus said about these things because ultimately that is what's going to cause all of us to flourish in our lives. So, 
as a church, we have a great opportunity to bring Jesus' message into the spiritual vacuum of a culture that has lost its center. Our culture, I think more than ever before, is searching for God. There's an author, a philosopher, by the name of Julian Barnes. He's an atheist. But he wrote a very, very moving line in his book entitled, Nothing to be Frightened of. And this is what he said. He said, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Now think about that. Here's a man saying, I don't believe in God. I've discounted God. I just don't think there is one. But I miss him. I wish there were. Well, that's, that's what Jesus, Jesus came to speak to that vacuum. And so let me close with the invitation that Jesus gave that crowd the day after he fed all 5,000 of them. In John chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said this. He said, The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives his, and to give life to the world. And then the people, one of the people in the crowd said, Sir, they said, give us this bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be thirsty, never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And you know, it was then in verse 36, 66 that it says, At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Their eyes were on more of what Jesus could do to fix things here and now than upon the, the spiritual kingdom that he was talking about. But he was, Jesus was, play, he was bringing the people in that crowd to a point of decision that day about who he was and whether or not they would place faith in him. And Jesus is still doing that today. So what is your decision about Jesus Christ? Now, maybe there's someone or more that came here today searching for meaning or for purpose. Maybe there's a, you feel a vacuum at the center of your life. Well, trying to fill that vacuum with all kinds of stuff. That's what our culture is doing right now and sort of going insane trying to do it. Meaning, purpose. That's found in Jesus Christ. That's what he came to do. God created that vacuum inside, deep inside, It's a God-sized vacuum that only he can fill. And when we open our hearts to him and we come to Christ and receive him as our savior, place our faith in him, confess to him, Lord, I've lived a self-directed life. Forgive me. Come into my life. I want you to take over my life. When a person comes to him that way and prays that prayer, then that person, that moment, he Jesus said it this way, passes from death into life, from darkness into light. That person is born into this spiritual kingdom that Jesus Christ was talking about. And once in that kingdom, God becomes real. And God's presence begins to do things inside of our lives, to to redeem us, to change us, to make us into a new person who reflects him in the culture, who reflects him to your loved ones. So if you're searching here today, uh, I would invite you where you're at today, where, you, where you're seated now, to say, Lord, that's me, and I give my life to you. I invite you into my life. 
Maybe you're not ready to make that decision today. Well, I hope that you'll walk away from this uh, short message this morning, taking, taking this question with you this morning of what, what am I going to do with Jesus Christ? What am I going to do with his offer to give me a new life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you are in this place. We thank you, Jesus, that you stepped into the broken culture of our world, off-kilter, off-center. But you came, even though you knew you would face some hostility, in fact, you would face some extreme hostility, you came willing to go to the cross, willing to lay your life down so that the culture of heaven, the culture of your kingdom, could be restored to our lives and to our families and even to our villages and our, our nation. Heavenly Father, we pray for our nation today that is straying and wandering and trying to find meaning and purpose and looking everywhere to do it, sometimes everywhere except back to you. And Lord, that's where we as a church come in because, Lord, we are here in this culture to represent you, to show this culture your love. Lord, even in the face of anger or hostility that may sometimes come from just misunderstanding, Help us, Lord, to be people of love who have respect and dignity for every other human being, no matter how much they may disagree. Lord, give us your grace, your kindness, your love, your wisdom. Let us be that church that reflects Jesus Christ. And Lord, uh, we give you praise, we give you thanks, and we pray these things in Jesus' great, his mighty, his wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.